Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1286 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, recording this podcast over the weekend, but it's going to be on your feed on Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. As always, make it your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. I am joined today by Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops for a fun conversation about some of the Summer League guys and some of the latest news. In this podcast, I'll touch on Sharif Cooper's two-way contract, the details there, what's going on with Sharif and also his Summer League stuff with Glenn. And then later in the show, talking about Tyrese Martin. His details now are public, and I report them on this podcast about his contract as well as some observations from Glenn and I on his assembly performance and what he could be in the future. A little bit of Shawnee Brown talk, a little bit of AJ Griffin talk about uh, his draft status and, of course, his future with the Hawks organization and everything else in between. Glenn is very plugged in with the Hawks, X's and O's, somebody I trust implicitly to analyze what's going on in Hawks land. And it was time checking with him. And by the way, if you missed it, earlier in the summer, I talked to Glenn extensively about the player capsules across the entire roster from John Collins to McDonavich to Capella. Akongwu, etc. Talks about all that stuff. There is one we have not done yet, and that's Trey Young, which is sort of a running joke at this point in time. But I'll be talking to Glenn about Trey at some point in the summer. But everybody else on the roster was covered in some depth. Those are still very relevant podcasts now, so those are still available in your feeds. Also, over the weekend, I talked to Ed Oliver of Locked On Wizards in crossover fashion for two smaller episodes, but I posted them as sort of bonus content on Saturday and Sunday. He asked me to come on and talk about DeLon Wright and his exodus from Atlanta to D.C. and what he is as a player and what will be missed for Atlanta with him leaving the Hawks. And then also part two of that conversation was John Collins. He was asking about Collins as a trade target, also what he is as a player, strengths, weaknesses, all that fun stuff. That's all available on the podcast feed right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, that's it for the intro. After a quick moment to hear the music on the podcast, we'll be back with myself, Glenn Willis, talking about AJ Griffin, Tyrese Martin, Sharif Cooper, and much more. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I am joined once again by my friend Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brad. It's kind of a quiet weekend, I guess, so far for the NBA. So it's a great time to to make some time to chat. Yeah, it is. And uh, you know, I would say a lot of times if I had a guest on, I would have done the uh, record keeping stuff at the top of the podcast. But with you, we have the comfort level, and uh, you will get into the minutia with me. Obviously, if there is news. In the last few days, as I've recorded a podcast or always posted one on the feed, it is the Sharif Cooper contract situation, which is now resolved. Um, as of when we were, are recording this, which is actually to put the sort of behind the curtain, it's actually Saturday night. So if something changes, I will update that at the top of the podcast. But as we record this, Sharif, uh, at least it was reported by Keith Smith and I believe Mike Scotto as well on Friday that Sharif was going to be signing his two-way contract with the Hawks. I can confirm that did happen and he signed his qualifying offer. So um, without going crazy into this, and I've talked about it a lot on the show, um, essentially the Hawks tendered that qualifying offer to Sharif um, in order to make him restricted free agent. Uh, that's what they had to do. Anytime you're coming off a two-way contract, all you have to be offered to be still on a two-way contract potentially is a two-way contract uh, to be uh, under control by the team. Um, and essentially with the new rules, the team can no longer unilaterally pull that back. Once it's offered, um, the player has always has the option to just sign it. And uh, it seems like that's what happened here. He signed his qualifying offer on a two-way contract. We can get into all of that. But uh, big picture, the takeaway now is that Sharif is going to be on a two-way for this year for the Hawks. Um, this is kind of what I thought was going to happen after Summer League. We'll get into how he looked in Summer League now. But uh, what's your reaction to Sharif being back on a two-way contract? 
Yeah, heading into summer league, I thought Martin might be on the two way and that they might um kind of do right by Sharif in a way. I mean, you could maybe kind of see that angle with them. Um, but yeah, it seems appropriate for uh what we saw in summer league. I know I know some would say, like, is he even worth that as bad as summer league went for him? But you know, um the the Hawks have seen a lot more from him than just what they saw in summer league. They saw obviously what he did in College Park last year and um and and such so uh and they need some point guard depth and uh you know in some form even if i don't think you know he's super viable <laughs> right now as a guy who could you know kind of play for them in any kind of consistent way but it seems like the uh, the right kind of slot for him on the roster uh, i think and i think there's um probably uh they saw enough last year to to bring him back and keep him in the organization one more year and see if they can help him develop towards being um, a guy is getting closer to being a guy that can help help the, the varsity club. Yeah, I want to get into some of the basketball stuff because that's uh, usually what uh, you're here to talk about. I, I would just say for the just to, for the clarity purposes, um, somebody asked me this offline, so I figured I would pass it along. There is nothing stopping the Hawks from cutting Sharif at some point in the near future. I'm not predicting that or saying it's going to happen, but him signing a two-way qualifying offer in July does not mean it's 100% guaranteed that he is still on this team in October. Um, I would guess that he is, just to be very clear. I'm not reporting otherwise. Um, but because of the situation and because of how Summer League went and the fact that he signed his basically two-way qualifying offer, there's not a whole lot of like team impetus here. Like They could have maybe not wanted to keep him and still had to have this contract happen. I'm not reporting that either. But it's just interesting because... If you're Sharif and you look around and this is your best option, you you, ha you have to sign it. It locks you into an NBA contract. But at the same time, there's not a whole lot of security here for you. You're not guaranteed a ton of money on a two-way contract, all that stuff too. So um, I think training camp will be important for him. And we'll get into why that is because of uh, how much he struggled in summer league. I'm glad you referenced the G League stuff, though. I, I talked about this a little, little bit with, uh, with, our, with your colleagues, actually, both, both Wes Morton and Graham Chapel in the last couple of weeks. But Sharif was really bad in summer league, and that's that's okay to say out loud. Um, I've always liked Sharif's game, but you can also be uh, candid about how it looked um, in Las Vegas, and uh, that also does not just rule out everything that he's done previously. He was much, much better than this in the G League, which does matter over a larger sample size and more of a structured environment, but if you missed it, and not you, Glenn, the listener, uh, he averaged about four points a game, four assists per game, and shot 19% from the floor in Las Vegas. Uh, it's only four and a half game sample. He did he played he did not play the second half of the final game, but um, the numbers were what they were, and uh, even eye test wise, like you can kind of squint and see some things along the way. But for the most part, it wasn't great. So uh, I want to zoom back in on the basketball stuff. What was your prime takeaway? Acknowledging that yes, he he had the thumb issue that might have helped him held him back a little bit as well. But uh, what did you see on the floor? Because I think the one thing that everyone can agree on is that it wasn't very good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I felt like I was mostly kind of scratched on my head watching him. Not that I expected him to be, you know, one of the best point guards at summer league. I think he's still a little bit more of a developmental guy. And you and I both know there are some pretty experienced guys that play in that league, even if the average NBA fan may not be Chris with all those guys. <laughs> right, <laughs> Chris exactly. one of them, yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. Um uh, so I was like, you know, what is going on with him? And, you know, the, the first uh, thing that pops in your mind, like you mentioned, is like, is the thumb that bad? If it is, he probably deserves some credit for going out there and, and kind of giving it a go and trying to be uh, a bit of an organizer uh, on offense for his team. And, you know, and then I, after the first game, I was like, was that, was that just, you know, Jared Butler kind of doing what, was, what he can do? You know, because Sharif really kind of struggled with the ball pressure he was bringing, but, 
Um, you know, as we saw going, you know, forward games two, three, and, and four and such. I mean, there were, I think, maybe two stretches where, you know, you looked, a, felt a little more optimistic about what you were seeing. But, um, yeah, the, the shooting was a mess. It looks like he didn't have any interest in kind of doing anything at the rim. Was he afraid to get that thumb smacked? You know, we don't, there's no way for us to really know that. Um, I've always been curious about how his perimeter shot was going to develop. It's strange um, to see a, a guy as small as he is have a set shot with a, such a slow release. When we saw him playing College Park last year, that got better. He got on his, it wasn't that, that he kind of fully went towards a jump shot, but he got more up on his toes and sped that release up. Why that was so slow in summer league? Maybe that was just went back to some sort of uh, you know kind of mental obstacle he had around wanting to kind of let it fly because of the thumb or or whatever. Um, and then you know he at then but with all of that considered, you were kind of looking for him to take his guy for the dribble, show the burst that he has, nice first step, you know, a good uh, handle and things like that. And we never really saw that either. And so I hope that what we saw is just kind of throwaway for whatever reasons, and it isn't really material. Um, but I can't imagine that it uh, had absolutely no bearing on the way the Hawks saw themselves kind of moving forward and crafting their roster. I think it has some matters some, although it's hard maybe for us to tell how much, you know. Um, uh, and on defense, you know, he, I think he's always going to be a challenged guy, um, as small as he is. You know, there's um, our ways guys like him can use his quickness and some defensive intensity and things like that. Um, but as bad as it was on offense, if we zoom back and kind of look at the broader uh, point uh, he's at developmentally, he's he's got further to go on defense for sure before he's the guy you can kind of throw out there and kind of see that, that being workable. So, you know, as optimistic as, as you know I am as a person and all that, <laughs> it was it was rough. It was. Uh, it, it, there was one, I think, maybe one stretch that we would call maybe call it good or you know or you know or it was pretty different from all the other place so i don't know if it was actually good or just really really different, different. there yeah. was a second stretch that was there was some good and bad i think and everything else was bad so i don't know what to make of it except for kind of wait until camp rolls around assuming that uh, like you said that you know i can't see that a reason why he wouldn't be rostered at least until then um but i just you know i hope for him that um whatever it was that was kind of holding him back is something that was uh, temporary, and, and we see him be more of the guy who was in College Park last year than the guy who was in Vegas. Yeah, we're getting a little bit more about his College Park time as well as some stuff about Tyrese Martin, Shawnee Brown, etc. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar from the folks that brought you healthy and tasty in the same package. Come the latest gift to your taste buds. You probably already tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have also given you the coconut brownie chunk, the Puffs treatment overall. That's right, the chunk Built Bar is the flavor that you already love and now has deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. Stop drooling now and listen. They're actually good for you as well. They are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. The coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time though. So go to built.com right now to make sure you don't miss out. They are going fast as you might expect because they actually taste amazing and they're good for you. All built bars have collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and they give you a ton of health benefits as a result of that. Eat something that tastes good and it's also good for you. And Belt Bar also has a bevy of other products on their website. You can find them all in one place at Belt.com with a special promo code from us. When you get there to Belt.com, use promo code LOCK15 to have 15% off on your order with Belt Bar. One more time, that is promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Belt.com. Glenn, just 
closing things up on Sharif a little bit here. I'm just going to say the numbers out loud that he posted in, in the G League. And again, the G League is not the NBA by any stretch. But um, I said this with Wes, I think, the other day. The G League is better competition than Summer League. Uh, it's more structured. The teams are deeper. I know you don't necessarily have the high-end guys that you recognize. Like, there are no, there are no first-round picks, at least very few of those guys. But for the most part, um, the quality of play is better in the G League than it is in Summer League. And Sharif went out and averaged 17 points a game, six assists, um, did have three and a half turnovers or so. But this is, a, this is across a 34-game sample between the showcase and the regular season in the G League. And he shot the ball okay, too, 44% from the floor. 35% from three, 85% from the line. You talked about his shooting improvement overall. That was there too. So like I I personally would tend to weight that sample a lot more than a five-game, four-and-a-half-game summer league sample. I still do agree with you though because, you know, you and I were uh, among the more prominent people talking about this. Like there was this notion last year that Sharif, that Sharif was going to be capable of running their offense last year. People were calling for, for Sharif to play during the season last year. We were kind of like, no, he's not ready to do that. And it's not about him. It's just the fact that he was a rookie. He was 19, 20 years old, and he wasn't ready to do that. This is a reminder of that for sure and the gap between what you where you have to be at to play on an NBA court. And I think his role this year on a two-way contract is going to be almost the same as it was a year ago. Like, he'll spend most of the year in College Park. And, you know, maybe if they get two injuries in front of him, maybe if, you know, if Murray has an injury or Trey has an injury or Aaron Holiday or whatever, they do have a little bit less depth, I would say, at that spot right now um, when you factor in that Murray's also the starting two guard. But I think that, you know, just to answer a question people have asked, been asking me, like, I think his role is going to be pretty similar. I can't really picture him playing much more in the NBA than he did last year. And the hope would be that he just continues to play well in College Park. But does that strike you as out of bounds? I think that's kind of what I'm expecting if he's around. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Even though when I look at it, I mean, last year they could play play behind Trey. They could play Delano point guard, Lua point guard. Herder could um, provide some, um, you know, uh, help. You know, even even, Sky, even Skyler, by the way. Like, I, I think if they if, right. they, if they if it came down to it last year, this is a point of contention too. I know you probably heard the same thing. I said this a few times. Like, I think if they had to, they would have used Skyler before Sharif at point guard. Even though even though right. more of a combo, I think I think Nate would have trusted Skylar before he would have gone to Sharif personally. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. So it, I, I kind of have to kind of provide almost an answer in two parts here to your question. One is there's not much behind Trey and Dejounte, right? I don't I don't think Aaron Holiday is a point guard at all, at all. I, yeah, um, he's. I tend to agree with you. He's point guard sized, and he's been signed to that role. But I think that they probably don't want him being the primary offensive operator on the roster at some point yeah uh, agreed and every we've talked to death like is naked actually stagger you know train Dejounte. you better that, you know <laughs> right um so so in terms of like the opportunity is is vastly different than last year because there's just no depth yep. at that position compared to where the roster was last year however you know sharif would have to show a lot in camp and in preseason for example I think to kind of um, start to generate any kind of idea that he could help the team, you know, in some sort of quasi rotational role or uh, some sort of role to your point, kind of when there's an injury, he could be trustable to kind of step in and kind of give you enough of what you need. So I think there's a lot of opportunity depending on whether they do or do not add to the roster, you know, kind of between now and the start of the season. I, th I think we all, you and I kind of feel the same way about where, what the likelihood of that is. Um, but Unlikely so the, is the answer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So the opportunity is there, but I mean, 
uh, I, I don't see any reason to think that, that, that he should really kind of be in their plan to ever be in their, say, we'll call it a 10-man or rotation, 11-man rotation, or whatever it is. I don't know how they uh, kind of fill out their uh, guard minutes in the rotation right now. We'll have to kind of wait and see that. But right now, I don't see Sharif as being viable. Uh, could that change by, say, January or so? That wouldn't be crazy. No. But but he didn't certainly look like he was on track for that in Vegas. Yeah, and I've, I we'll, we'll get away from Sharif, I promise. But I think that it would probably take two injuries to get him to play any, any kind of regular minutes on the current roster. I, I do agree with you, though. In a vacuum, I would feel comfortable. I think you would, too, with them getting another guard somewhere that could handle the load if they had to. I don't know if they're going to do that. I think if I, if I had to guess, they're going to be done. They could sign one of those like non-guaranteed 15th men contracts like, like they did with TLC last year. That's a, obviously a different player type. But if they wanted to add more depth, that's the way that they would do it, I think, at this point in time, would, would it be to sign one of those like almost fully non-guaranteed deals that kind of just like matriculates through January and you kind of look for 10-day guys after that or whatever if they wanted to add more depth. That's kind of the advantage of having the spot open. If you want to look at that way as an optimist, you could say, look, there's flexibility in having only 14 guys on your roster. You can kind of cycle through guys if you want to. But I do think that um, it would be a surprise to me if they were banking on Sharif playing. I think that um, all my indications behind the scenes are that they don't want him to play this year. Um, obviously, um, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to sort of uh, talk about the Trey DeJounte stagger and all that fun stuff later on. But uh, I think that, yeah, Sharif is uh, on the periphery right now. And uh, honestly, I'm rooting for him. I've always liked Sharif. And I, I think I hope I, I hope he gets going in camp and then also in the Julie because, again, we, we saw enough flashes where, like, I'm at least still fairly intrigued. It's just that um, the most recent sample always stands out to everyone, especially from the public side, because we're on the outside. We, we don't get to see practice every day. And if you go out and play that way, in a uh, prominent position in summer league, you're going to have some, uh, some, some downward stock. And that's just kind of the reality situation. So that's where we Yeah. And, yeah, and maybe one last point for me is that, you know, it probably matters that, you know, last year in college park, the Hawks played uh five out offense, you know, almost completely. Yep. And not, a, not every young point guard coming in the league, um, you know, with a little bit of uh, reputation and you know he's a pretty famous guy for what he was drafted especially in the local area and stuff but oh yeah you know, he bought he bought into that and and he gave the ball up they facilitated a lot through their power forwards and and, and sometimes through their centers and stuff and so you know at college park they didn't have a very pick and roll centric kind of offensive scheme he'd come down give the ball up you know, move, kind of move back on ball. And there was a lot of, of that five out action. So, you know, I have to think that he, um, you know, scored a few points, you know, in the kind of with the organization last year in the way that he kind of bought into an offensive system at College Park that uh, didn't necessarily, uh, probably wouldn't be his first choice. And and so that, I think that potentially helped with Jalen's development to give Jalen so much opportunity to create, facilitate and things like that which is great. And so th I think that has to matter uh, some. Uh, now he still has to prove he's good enough to actually help the team, but there are ways to kind of build some collateral with your organization um, in, in kind of on the margins in that way. And I think Sharif probably um, uh, did a little bit of that last year. Yeah, I do agree with that. And even uh, even Summerlee, you, you could argue that was not the greatest situation for him. There wasn't like a ton of spacing on the floor. There wasn't necessarily the same situation that he was facing in College Park. And we talked about that at the time. Like the Summerlee roster was not the uh, most well-built offensively, you would say, <laughs> to, sure. to have him uh, operate, especially for a guy who's as small as he is. So um, that's probably enough on Sharif. Uh, we're going to have more coming on this podcast with some uh, contract details for Tyrese Martin, as well as some uh, more basketball talk, because we have to use Glenn's uh, skill set to its maximal 
uh, capabilities here, talking about X's and O's. But first, one more break here from our sponsors. All right, Glenn, one more nuts and bolts thing, and then I promise we'll, we'll turn it over to actual basketball talk. Tyrese Martin's contract is now official. We knew that it was uh, happening last week, but now I have the details for you all. It is, uh, as expected, the rookie minimum in his first year, but is guaranteed for about half. It's about $450,000 guaranteed, um, which I believe, and this is not the this is the, part, this is the part that I don't know 100%, I think it's uh, guaranteed in full at the league-wide cut-down date of January. I think it's mid-January, January 10th, something like that, uh, 15th, something like that. Um, that's, that's a pretty standard uh, arrangement. And then in year two, it is non-guaranteed, as you might expect, and the guarantee date for Tyrese is July 21st of 2023, which is very team friendly. Um, you know, oftentimes you'll see guarantee dates uh, either late June or early July. You know, Gallows famously was late June. They pushed it back, um, et cetera. But a late July guarantee date is very team friendly. That means the team can kind of, um, if they want to be uh, punitive, they can kind of hold you until pretty late in the process and then cut you where you don't have as many options. Um, obviously, I'm not saying they're planning on doing that, but that is a very team friendly contract overall, which is kind of what you'd expect for the guy who was drafted in the bottom 10 of the second round. Um, not a lot of leverage there. And uh, sort of the trade-off here, and then I'll hand it to you, is basically here's a roster spot. You get a full – rather than being on a two-way, which you and I both expected could have been a possibility when he was drafted, rather than that, you get the full roster spot. You get to guarantee almost a half million dollars. That's that's real money, especially as a second-round pick. Uh, and the trade-off is that, you're not, that your second year is not guaranteed and there's a little bit of a team-friendly aspect to it. So I'm not too surprised by this in terms of the details, but now they're official. And uh, what are your, do you have any thoughts on that before we get to the basketball stuff? No, I mean, good, good for him. Um, you know, if you ask me, like, you know, another, a different team might have say, said, let's give Shondi the non-guaranteed contract and slide Martin into the 2A. Um, but, you know, I, it, I mean, you and I both know, like, a, a contract doesn't get – any cheaper than a second rounder kind of coming onto a rookie deal, right? So that that is the that is the principal appeal, and honestly, that's one of the reasons. Once I once we kind of figured out that the Hawks were going to at least try to stay around or maybe get under the tax line, uh, it felt more likely to me, uh, and I even heard it was more likely. And they were already kind of negotiating with Martin for a little bit of time before this deal was actually signed. And part of the appeal, not all of it, but part of the appeal is that a rookie minimum is like a half million dollars or more cheaper than even a second year minimum. Like if they were to sign Sean D or even Sharif to that minimum contract, it's like a half million dollars more. And that may not sound like a ton of money, but when you're dealing with the tax line, it, that, can, that stuff can matter on the margins. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so on the basketball side, I mean, I, I I think there's a pretty good consensus that he was the Hawks' best player in summer league. Yeah. Um, um, even that first game shooting performance aside, which wasn't just him, it was the whole team. Um, but you know, what, what I, um, uh, found most interesting about him was just how aggressive he was and, and for, to me, even more impressively, how aggressive he stayed, even when things weren't going well, he kept going at it, kept attacking his guy. And you could tell like Nick Van Exel really wanted his team to, you know, pr- create some spacing as much as they could with the amount of shooting they had, and then create some leverage where their players could take their, their defender kind of off the dribble one-on-one, try to collapse the defense, kick it out. And things like that. And he was, I mean, relentless at that. He was always looking for an opportunity to take his guy off the dribble and had some success. Um, showed a little bit of craft kind of in at and near the rim uh, and things like that. Uh, had a, a handful of kind of wow passes uh, in side pick and roll. I, you know, I remember one he made to, uh, I think it was Tillman um, from, from the left corner uh, and things like that. So he, it, a lot of guys who are drafted in the second round will go to summer league and kind of do the the one thing or maybe the two things 
that are their more advanced kind of skill set and and can look like awesome uh, because the one thing that sometimes doesn't happen in the summer league context is the defense to kind of try to take those things away from an individual player. They're just you – know, games come you know, quickly and teams haven't put together very long. But he showed a, a pretty diverse skill set uh, in terms of dribble attack, his passing. Uh, I like his ability to kind of operate and transition, pushing the ball and or kind of feeling the wing. He, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's an older rookie compared to a, kind of a lot of the guys. And I think that showed up in some of his play. Um, I, know, I know Hawks fans got really excited. I think for a guy who was drafted 51st overall, I mean, that's about as well as you could kind of imagine, you know, yeah. summer, league, summer league going. I, I think the one thing as he potentially gets an opportunity to kind of show he can scale his game up to the actual NBA level is is around his first step quickness, not not great. Um, you know, he's, um, you know, pretty um, kind of limited in that area for a wing. Um, and things like that. He's, I think he's quite strong, but not so quick. And I, and I don't, I don't mean to say that he's slow. No, uh, like, but I, th- but I think that's going to show up defensively. I think his ability to kind of, um, say, defend at the point of attack right now is um, not going to be great uh, against some of the better creators, especially, but even an average creator at the NBA level. And then the first step on offense um, to kind of attack, attack this guy. Now, when if, if he's conceptually on the floor with DeJounte or Trey, like how many times are you going to ask him to, you know, take his guy off the dribble? Yeah. When the ball rotates to the weak side, but there's a lot of space there and he has his defender one-on-one, you want him to be able to do that. But I, you know, after a year or whatever, kind of in an NBA kind of training uh, program, it's not crazy to think that he's going to kind of develop a little bit more um, kind of refined ability to to know how to set himself to get more in that first step right whether that's on offense and defense so and he showed a lot but there's still some athletic uh limitation which is why he was drafted 51st and not 41st or wherever right um but i mean it, the hawks need some winged up and it's not kind of crazy to think that he might be a guy who could be trusted for some occasional minutes now and then because he seems to mostly know what he was doing uh, and and has some capability to kind of do the things that you uh, want your wing wings to do, but um, not a rotation player at this point, but a guy who showed that he has a nice kind of baseline package that he could develop from. I think. Yeah, and that's a good way to put it. I think that because there were a couple of guys uh, around the league, not not necessarily in Atlanta, of course, but around the league that were second round guys or undrafted guys last year that ended up being rotation guys by the end of the season. Um, your Herb Joneses, your Jose Alvarado, whoever you want to say it is, there's always a guy or two. I'm not saying there won't be, but I think that can kind of um, grow expectations from fans to a higher level than they probably should be for a guy in his rookie season. I think Martin's age probably helps him in that he is a little bit more experienced. He was a four-year college guy. He is 23. By the way, he's a, he's a year and a half older than the Kongwu who's going to be going into year three. So that kind of tells you a little bit about um, his age. He's actually um, less than a year younger than Trey. So that's kind of tells you where he is. Um, not quite as old as Scholar was, to be fair. Scholar was even older. But um, no, I think that you're right on all of that stuff. I think that defensively, that was one of the things he was billed at. And I think if, if, if there was one thing to, to sort of nitpick from Summer League is that he was not quite the defender that people might, might have thought that he could have been. I think on offense, certainly he was better than you would expect. Um, the one knock would have been his shooting. And I tried to say this out on draft night. Landry Field said this as well, pretty candidly. Like he shot very well 
his senior year at UConn. But before that, he was not a good three-point shooter. And uh, Landry kind of unprompted said that was one of the things that they were not necessarily concerned about, but going to work with him on and his consistency as a shooter. I think that kind of showed up too. I think that you can kind of not trust his three-point shot right now. I think he made, yeah, 28%. It's a small sample size. I don't really worry about that. But I'm not sure he's a plus shooter right now. In fact, I'm probably sure that he's not a plus shooter right now. But – you know, the playmaking was pretty interesting. The way he got to the rim and especially was able to finish at the rim is something the Hawks just have not had a ton of in the last couple of years, as I know you well know. So, like, you know, is he going to play a lot this year? Probably not. But I think that he would not embarrass himself in, some certain, in certain situations, which is kind of nice to have from your 14th, 15th guy on the rookie minimum. I did notice this, by the way. I'm not sure if you caught this. Him and Sean D. Brown have, like, almost exactly the same numbers from Summer League. They took exactly the same amount of shots and made the exact – same amount of those of, of those shots from the floor in summer league, kind of hilarious. Um, same rebound numbers as well. Like as much as we uh, kind of all talked about that, it was uh, about Tyrese kind of being the best player in summer league. They had almost exactly the same numbers. It's kind of funny. Um, but anyway, that's more of a non sequitur. Just to say, like I liked what I saw for sure. They like him. Obviously, they don't have to sign him to a contract, and they go ahead and they went and did that. Um, when you draft a guy at fifty one. Not always do you assume that guy's going to be on the roster as a rookie or even even be on a two-way. There's lots of guys who were cut or on sort of stashed away that are drafted in this range, and he got a deal pretty quickly. So they, they like what they saw. I think uh, so did I, honestly. He brought a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if the shooting comes along at all. Um, uh, he, you know, he was kind of up and down like a lot of young guys are. Um, yep. But one, one thing that, um, you know, again, that I think is – encouraging some is he was a willing shooter when he was open he took the shot right and i always when i talk about this i kind of go back to uh kind of when dan tony was coaching the rockets and the system that he built around harden was i don't care who you are one through four if you're open you're going to take the three-point shot and like carmelo wouldn't do that and that's why carmelo did not work in houston because he wouldn't take the shot so you know a weird kind of uh parallel here but in vegas uh, martin would put those shots up and then there were a couple times like i remember one time he had a ball like at the left three point break, a defender closed out on him, and it was this one dribble relocation, mm-hmm. and he made the shot. It just that process was really clean, really nice. He read the play, he measured the play well, and that gives me a little bit of optimism that there's there's some stuff coming along there. That, that showing that process in summer league, uh, playing with guys that you don't really know and don't have much experience with was you know it was surprising uh, for me. So he's you know. Even though I, I think it's right to question that shooting, it looks to me like there's evidence he's working on it and he's working oh, yeah. on sort of the process of getting his shot, being able to create a shot when the opportunity kind of comes to him. And, you know, we'll see what he makes of that. But there's, I think, some some, some interesting stuff that he showed uh, as a shooter in summer league even. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that, um, if anything, I think Landry might have been saying this. And he didn't. He did not say it this way, but I kind of, I kind of interpreted this as like that might be his swing skill. A lot of guys who are drafted in that range, like if one thing happens, they can become NBA rotation players kind of thing. And that might be his thing. Um, obviously, you're going to have to defend at some level because he's never going to be like this ball dominant guy. Like the, the, the finishing is pretty interesting for sure. It's a nice thing to have and the Hawks need it. But I think that um, his path is to be more of like a complimentary player. And that means a defending, which is important, especially under Nate. I mean, Nate, that's almost implied even more with Nate, but um most NBA coaches are going to want to put a guy out there that's going to be able to defend. And then the shooting. The other stuff is very nice, and he's he's better at attacking the rim than he is as a, as a pull-up guy right now or as a spot-up guy. But I think that if you're looking at what he could be two years from now, you're hoping for, like, solid shooter and improved defender. And if he can do all that, 
again, that's a lot of ifs. And it's, there's a reason why he went 51 and not 21, but there's a lot to like there too. Like it would not surprise me in a couple of years if he was a, a fringe rotation guy who was like very much useful for this team as like a ninth, 10th man kind of type. You're not banking on him being a starter down the line or even like a sixth man down the line. The hope always in the second round is like, if you can find a rotation player two years from now, that's a home run. And that's what they're hoping for him. Not, not necessarily anything beyond that, but again, like very modestly, like here's an example for you that just came to me from a Hawks guy. Because honestly, the Hawks have had some pretty – ugly second round luck the last couple of years, but there was a, for a little stretch of time and you were around during this Glenn, they found Mike Scott and Mike Muscala in the second round. I think back to back years or within two years of each other. And those guys both became exactly what you want from second round picks. They both became, they were bench guys. Muscala still in the league and still playing well in the league, but those guys are exactly what you want in the forties and fifties of the NBA draft. They became six, seven, eight year NBA players who were rotation caliber players and that's the kind of guy that you're looking for in this range. If it's better than that, obviously that's even better. But like, if you could just find someone that could stick around and help you, that's a plus. Yeah, for sure. And, and I like to think of like templates. I, I don't like to do comps, but like, oh, here's a template you can see for him. And like, just to think about how the shooting could be a swing skill, like, you know, Solomon Hill, when he came into the league with. Oh, yeah. Here Indiana, we go. Right. right? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I use him because Hawks fans know him as well. But if you think back when he was younger, it was like a defensive guy, plays hard, knows what he's doing, strong, not super quick, you know. But once he started making shots, he, he got like a fifty what fifty million dollar contract or you know or whatever yep. it was when the when that time came in that range. So so Solomon Hill was a guy like when he was making shots, his value skyrocketed, right? Because he kind of went into that prototypical kind of three and D. I think Martin's a better ball handler for sure uh, right now and has a little bit more. He can do kind of on the ball on offense, but in a similar way to Solo, you're gonna he's gonna have to show he can be super reliable on defense and use the strength that he has on defense. But if he starts making shots regularly, his value goes way up, like just like Solo did. And that's I think um, not a crazy way to kind of look at the starting point of Martin's career is, you know, uh, you know he could not stay on the periphery like for a number of years. Or if he really starts making shots, you know, he becomes a guy who, you know, teams will look for. Everyone loves wings that will work hard on defense, be good team defenders, and make shots. And and that's probably the best path to him kind of getting a real kind of NBA contract one day. And it just goes to show, like what Landry said, the, the shooting skill, uh, or what he alluded to, that the shooting skill is is really that swing thing for him. Yeah, and you just cannot have uh, too many bets on six six guys. I mean, that's that's the other thing about this about that draft pick is like he wasn't necessarily in everybody's top fifties that you saw around the internet. But um, you know, teams in general are always looking for guys between six five and six nine that can potentially be two way players. And I think that Martin can potentially be that. And um, if you're six six with some skills and you can be a two way guy, even if you're older. Teams will bet on you to do that, and that's what we think. I think we saw that. So that's that's sort of the simple version of this for the Hawks. Is like this guy's six six. He's got some ball skills. He might be able to defend in the future. Let's take the flyer and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, speaking of guys like that, quickly here, uh, do you have any Sean? Do you have any Sean D. Brown thoughts from summer league? I know you and I are uh, high on the Sean D. Brown wagon compared to rest, compared to everybody else. So anything stick out to you other than just like him playing? basketball because like he made he made shots and he was he, he was kind of shiny brought out there for the most part <laughs> yeah i mean it, we saw last year in the time that he got the hawks there and the if we want to call that their covid their covid roster stretch or whatever he made shots 
he knew what he's doing on defense. I've used the, the phrase professional defender, you know, in, in summer league, he was always in the right place. He was kind of helping organize. He was um, their most reliable guy at transition defense and things like that. But he just keeps making shots, you know, and talking about kind of a swing skill for, for a guy. But man, if, if a guy who can kind of offer the baseline package he does is uh, a real shot maker. And especially if that volume, you know, kind of starts going up and the, and the percentage is still there. Um, yeah. He's a nice player. And he, and for me, I know, some, you know, different organizations have different philosophies on what they want to do with their two way roster. Right. Some really want developmental guys and they have young 18, 19 year old guys that they feel like they can go, go with the Hawks need some depth in that two-way, right, kind of kind of spot because of their lack of depth they have right now with the way the roster is put together. And he's kind of perfect, you know, for this team. I've, you know, we, I think you and I um, exchanged uh, uh, kind of messages about this, but it was interesting to see him play at the wing in the first game, maybe the first two games, depending upon, you know, uh, what we were considering kind of playing at the wing. It seems like that was – them giving him an opportunity to kind of show what he could do. And, you know, the ball handling is not good enough for him to do that in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, and so I see him more as a guy that if you have a playmaking four, you can play him at the quote three and kind of make that work. Um, if you have a, uh, a point guard like Trey, he was handling a lot of the playmaking. You can play him at either the three or the four potentially and kind of make that work. But in terms of what his skill set fit is, it's really the, the four, right? In the modern NBA. And he's not, um, he doesn't have the ideal size for that. So that's kind of interesting um, to think about. But, you know, if the Hawks are going to play, you know, you know, um, a guy like him with Hunter, Hunter's size kind of gives them kind of more to work with. And Shandy works hard as a rebounder. He works really hard on defense. He, which, which gives you a little bit more than what his size might, might normally give you. But, I'm a fan. I'm rooting for him. Uh, he's easy. I find him easy to root for. Um, and we'll see, you know, how much playing time he actually gets this year. He's a guy that if he ends up on a real contract at some point during the season, it's not, it's not going to shock me, you know, no. um, if they can kind of, kind of swing that because he's um, right now a more reliable player than Jalen. We'll see if that's true come December or so. Right. Um, Shadi just knows, knows what he's doing. He's a more experienced guy. Uh, in that sense, um, and so Jalen's still I mean, pretty young and rough. I'm not saying they should play Shawnee ahead of Jalen even to start the season. I don't think that. But Nate, being Nate, you know, just wants kind of super reliable kind of guys out there. And, and well, you know, he, you know what he'll do instead? He'll play. He'll play Mo Harkless. That, that's the other. That's yeah, what he'll right. actually do. Right. Uh, no, yeah. I, I was actually going to. I was actually going to say that a second ago. Like, um, not that I, I say this in jest, but if if you're Shawnee Brown, you are rooting hard for the Mo Harkless trade slash buyout because that that's your role honestly if you're shawnee right. brown that's the spot that you want if you're going to be available to be an nba player this year for the hawks is that plug and play solomon hill uh and obviously more harkless as the veteran option on this team now like if something happens to john or something happens where jalen just isn't cutting it and nate wants to go to somebody else that's the role um that maybe you go to shawnee for but like you mentioned a second ago like I was the one that asked Shondi about sort of his role on the, on the summer league roster. And he gave me the answer of like, I, I'm a two, three. And it's like, well, yeah, you're two, three sized, but like that's, there are some drawbacks there. And listen, nobody that's six, five that's played wing their whole life is going to suddenly just want to be a four. Like he doesn't want to be a four, I'm sure deep down inside, but I do agree with you. Like ball skill wise, like he probably is better at that spot. That's, that's where he played last year for the Hawks in that brief time. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I get it. There's a reason why he's not this coveted asset around the league. If he was six eight, he wouldn't have been undrafted for one. Like he would have gone, and I'm not saying the first round, but he would have been a top probably forty pick. Instead, he's six five, six six maybe, and uh, that's he's one of those classic tweeners. And I think he's, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's a pro too. Like he's a professional basketball player. I'm not sure if it's going to be on a full NBA contract, but. If he shoots the way he did in summer league, that very much help. I think he shot 40% from three. It's a small sample size, but he made a bunch of shots. And uh, that's very helpful too, because I think you can trust him. He's another guy. I, I want to, I don't want to overuse this phrase, but like he wouldn't embarrass you in an NBA game right now. If you just right. had him in, had him in a proper role, he would guard, he would do, he would do his job. He'd make, he'd make a corner three. He wouldn't do much more than that as we saw even last year. But like, if you get in a, in, in a pickle where you just want to have some competence, he would, bring you that confidence, which is a two-way – that's one of those two-way two philosophies. And they've had it dating back to Josh Majette. Uh, your guy, Tyler Cavanaugh, back in the day was a good example of this. Yeah. They just like, But uh, this organization seems to at least have one of those two spots always be one of those, like, low-ceiling confidence guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he's a good fit. You can throw him into the kind of forward mix if you need to and get some stable kind of play from him. Um, but, you know, if we – even as I kind of think back, like, the few times or the handful of times he – Got an opportunity to take his guy off the dribble and kind of it was it's it's pretty rough. The he, doesn't have, pretty he, rough. He, does, he does not have that. He does not have juice right. going to the rim. And listen, I think he probably and listen, summer league is a, is a spot where you want to give guys an opportunity to do stuff. Yeah. And I think that's to your kind of what you're saying. Like in the NBA, he's not going to try to do that because they won't let him. Like they just will like Shundi either shoot it or swing it. Like you're not going to iso your guy and go in summer league. There were there were lineups where he needed to kind of try to do that. Like it was, they didn't have a whole lot of juice on the floor with him, but I think he's obviously going to be a very low usage player right now in the NBA if he's playing. And that's yeah. even in the G league, I think he'll be a pretty low usage guy in the G league. He's going to be a catch and shoot guy for the most part. Yeah. You'd find him on the court with Marcus George's hunt and Dill Yaye and like, it's like, okay, okay I, Shani, I you gotta go. Exactly. No, cause so, yeah, yeah, you're right. Some of those lineups, not to go way down the way down the rabbit hole. Cause you and I could probably do that. If you're going to play with guys like I, Ayayi and whoever else, like, you don't have a lot of creation and I love Joel Ayahi like my own nephew, but he can't do anything on offense for the most part. So uh, no, interestingly enough, I think that Shondi did Shondi stuff. And I think you and I are definitely predisposed to liking his game more than others would be. But uh, I do like what I saw for the most part and he checked some boxes that they wanted to have him check. So there you go. Um, I guess the last thing I want to ask before we get out of here is that you and I have talked offline about this, but uh, since the draft, we've not talked AJ Griffin and obviously he didn't play in summer league, that's not a secret at this point. And that's, of course, fans don't love that, and I totally get it. I'm of the mind that doesn't matter too much as long as the foot's okay, the foot's okay, and it's that's fine. But um, zooming out, like, what did you make of that pick? Because you and I have not talked about that, um, that, that investment. And also, almost more importantly at this point, um, his rookie season is going to be interesting because it's Nate. It's a guy who's 18 years old. Like, I am trying already to keep expectations low when it comes to a rookie wing who's 18 years old on this Hawks roster. But as always, Glenn, I will fail and people will not listen to me on this <laughs> stuff. But uh, what do you make of AJ Griffin, both short term and long term? Yeah, I, I thought it was largely kind of a repeat of last year's draft where they took Jalen this upside pick, uh, a guy with not a very kind of polished game. And, and AJ's different in that sense. He has some kind of polish. But remember last year before the draft, I've learned my lesson because I didn't make any AJ Griffin jokes this year. But before the draft last year, when I was talking with Kevin, I was like, when I watch him play, like go back and watch his college games, he looks like a guy who's not a basketball player, who's an awesome athlete in some other sport and got talked into going to also playing basketball. You know, he looks like a sprinter and he has this incredible kind of straight line speed and this bounce and stuff like that. 
Um, and, you know, and I kind of joked about, around about that. But, you know, I think Jalen was a good upside pick, you know, at, at the point he was. I thought Griffin, it had, it had to be, from my view, the same calculus. That, like, here's a guy who's a big wing who can shoot the basketball, uh, who comes from, you know, he, he's the son of a, you know, one of the, um, you know, more uh, in-demand kind of, you know, assistant coaches in, in the league. So, you know, there, there's kind of a lot there. Um, uh, but there's also kind of the dichotomy for me of A.J. Griffin. It's like, okay, he shot the ball. He shot, what, like 44% from three at yep. Duke last year or something. But his shot is weird. Like, he he has yeah. a really wide base, and it's a little slow. And you it know. wasn't even just threes. He would just, I mean, just to add on to your point, like, his synergy profile is, like, elite, 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 elite. Like, he just he made every shot from everywhere. It was kind of right. – uh, why every play type too and but i but i agree if, if you watch him it's not the shot you'd expect a uh, a former nba player's son to have like guys that came up like that usually have very traditional mechanics he doesn't really have those like his base is weird like you said and it goes in and i can't imagine they're going to do too much to change it because 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 that's what they drafted him for for the most part but it is a very interesting skill set yeah i mean the only thing i would see with the shooting is I mean, for a guy his size, his release point is really low. So they might find a way, they might try to find a way to get that release point up a little higher, which is going to help him generate more volume as a shooter because you know cause a lot of defenders to have. But I mean, I don't know. Like they might say, hey, the first year we're just going to let you keep doing what you're doing or whatever. So it's going to be interesting to kind of watch there. Um, but but um, you know, if you go back and kind of uh, on YouTube and kind of find interviews from his kind of prep days and stuff or whatever, he'll admit that like in AAU, for example. He was basically only looking to get to his pull-up. He wasn't going to try to kind of get to the rim or create a, you know, run a pick and roll or create a pass or whatever. And uh, it kind of shows because, man, you know, he he on pull-ups, you know, he looks super, super comfortable. And he looks, even with kind of the weird mechanics, he looks pretty fluid. And so, uh, but he showed a little bit as a cutter, you know, at Duke, uh, which is impressive. He was terrible, on, absolutely terrible on defense. And, <laughs> yes, you know, he was. Um, but you know, then you again a little bit like with Sharif and Thomas, like you know, he was coming off of injuries. He looked like a guy who probably got back on the floor maybe before he probably maybe should have gotten back on the floor. Yeah. So you don't know like how much of that was kind of um, you know his kind of injury recovery and things like that. So I hope for his sake, this can be kind of a, a low demand season for him to get healthy against the developmental playing time. I don't know if the roster is really shaking up that way. They might need him to play. But, you know, in that sense, maybe they could at least get by until January so let him really kind of get stronger and and kind of get some injury recovery uh, and all that sort of stuff. But for where they drafted him, I thought it was absolutely a a fine, you know, pick that's defensible um, because, as you mentioned earlier, everybody's looking for wings that are that size. With some skill, especially he can shoot the basketball. He's got a, a decent handle right now. It's not yeah. a very diverse, uh, but he's got a nice. He knows how to use set up his defender for a crossover and get to that pull up um, super easily. That's a super fluid thing for him. When he's trying to uh, attack, you know, with general penetration, he's a little bit more limited right now. But um, you know, a, a fine pick there. Could you have gotten a guy who's a more complete basketball player right now? Sure. You know, you could have, but for where the Hawks are, and especially now with the uh, Dejounte trade, they need to be kind of hitting for upside in the next couple of drafts because their draft picks start disappearing uh, not too far down the road. So, you know, with John, they get a guy who, in a redraft, is what top five, six. I, you know, he's way up there, right? 
in a, in a, in a redraft. Jalen could kind of be a guy, if all things go right, that he could be a guy like, oh, he was drafted 20th and he's a top eight guy from the draft class. And, you know, I'm not saying it's likely, but AJ is kind of that kind of uh, um, kind of prospect as well, where if a couple things stick, he's a guy who ends up looking like he could have gone, you know, mid lottery as opposed to kind of where he did. So, Long way to go on defense. We'll see what they can kind of do around that. Nate's not going to put him on the floor if he can't trust him on defense. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. Uh, and stuff, but there's there's a few things that are there that, that um, make him uh, intriguing. And he, he brings a little bit more NBA-ready stuff than Jalen did uh, on offense um, uh, there. So an interesting pick. Uh, and uh, we'll kind of see how it goes. I wish we could have seen him in Vegas. I don't think there's anything lost in actuality from that. Um, except except for our opportunity to watch him yes. <laughs> and develop an opinion on four games of sample, you know. Um, but yeah, I I think absolutely good solid pick there. Uh, even if there are some you know kind of, kind of questions, but he's so young, had the injury histories, and but the fact that he's been in and around the NBA game for a long time uh, by virtue of who his father is, then I, I think it's a interesting and, and worthwhile uh, selection there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that he um, – it's I'm already thinking about this season. And, like, last year we kind of called our shot in some different ways about how, like, Jalen wasn't going to play. And I didn't mean it in a negative way. It just was – Nate wasn't going to trust him. Um, there's a clear path to Griffin playing because of what you talked about, like the lack of depth, um, particularly if Bogey it doesn't make it back for the start of the season. Um, just for, just from a shooting perspective, they're just going to have to find enough shooting to get by. And maybe that, maybe that's what gets Griffin on the court. But I do agree that like defensively, I can't imagine Nate is going to be uh, all warm inside watching AJ Griffin defend in, in October and, and November of his rookie season. Cause even if uh, even guys who are better defenders in college, like for instance, Tyrese Martin was a much better defender in college than Griffin was. And then we saw him and even in summer league, it was kind of like, okay, he's not ready to defend at the NBA level just yet. Griffin's going to be worse than that. Um, and for and five years younger and you know all that stuff so um you know we'll see what they do with him but I, I i tend to still like the pick it's definitely more of an upside swing like you said but i'm someone that thinks that's okay i mean i think that's for especially in the range they were drafting in you can't just always go upside but i think that two years in a row like it was best player available in a lot of ways best talent available other than else and I, i'm kind of on board with that both as you said they both have to be from duke which is kind of funny but and former top prospects and it makes the, I guess they have a type in some levels and they're both, they're both skilled too. They're both like Travis Slanky guys and that they have these skill sets that they really, especially the shooting, they really appreciate. So. Yeah. And he was drafted higher for Cam Reddish kind of fit that too. It had an injury much. play, you know, one year at Duke and. All three, all three, it's actually, it's kind of crazy. All three of those guys were all at least at one point, top three or five high school prospects that kind of had shaky freshman seasons. Griffin was the best player in co- in college of the three because he just made a ton of shots, as we talked about. But, um, yeah, they've, they're all very similar career paths for those three guys, which is kind of funny. So, anyway, um, well, Glenn, we talked a lot. I kept you, as usual, longer than I expected to keep you. But thank you for your willingness to talk about everything and anything. Um, we do uh, – this is more my fault than yours, I, I assure you of that. Um, we have now gone into the zone where we will threaten to talk about Trey Young in a podcast every time we talk, and then we never actually do it. We're going to do it, though, at some point. You and yeah. I will talk about Trey Young in a podcast at some point this summer. Trey needs some attention. He just doesn't get enough attention. Uh, yeah, in fact, we're recording this during his Drew League appearance, uh, which I watched some of before we started recording. But, no, uh, 
famously during our player capsule series, which again, thank you very much for doing with me, Glenn. Yeah. Um, we teased that and we kind of acknowledged at the end was like, okay, the one guy we were waiting for the end was Trey because there was no way they were going to trade him. Uh, he's not going to get traded. So at some point uh, in the next two months, I can probably talk Glenn and talk about and talk about Trey Young. So it's going to happen, I promise. But Glenn, where can, they find your, where, where, can they, where can they find your work in the meantime, my friend? So my writing shows up at Peace Reviews, of course. Um, uh, we're kind of in, in the dry season, but I'm hoping to get to a little bit more uh, DeJounte content uh, here in the next few weeks. Work's been crazy for me lately, and um, uh, so travel coming up. I, my, my wife and I hit our 20th anniversary next week, so some time off kind of built around that and stuff like that. So, But come you know August, I th- hopefully we'll start kind of and I will start creating some content that is kind of trying to imagine forward what this roster might look like with the new pieces and stuff like that. So look for that. Uh, You can follow me um, on Twitter at Glenn. I put a lot of kind of technically oriented content uh, there. Um, And you can also, uh, you know, hear me on at at the uh, ATL 29 podcast I do with uh, your frenemies. I I think I'm the only one who call you guys (laughs) frenemies. Uh, but Kevin Shenard, uh, my good friend and Brad's friend, and he, we, friend of me, we do uh, 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 regular podcasting over there. Not as regular as Brad. Brad's the hardest working guy in the business, no doubt. You guys about have been, that. you guys have been good about getting content. I've been, I've, I told Kevin, I think maybe the draft. I've been impressed with Kevin's consistency because sometimes he'll just punt the podcast for like two months. He's not done that recently, so maybe, maybe he will now. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I think we're on a little break until I get back from this vacation uh, coming up. That I'm really it's the best time to do it. There's no, there's nothing happening right now. I, I know I'm always here talking about stuff, but yeah, just, 20 years no ago I, I insisted we get married in late July because I saw myself being in the you know <laughs> that's, I, that wasn't a strategic decision at yeah, all. No, that's, that's it, how it did work out well. Did work yeah, out. I uh, I never take breaks, but if I ever if I ever do, I try to at least kind of schedule in between like late July and late September. There's like that two month window where you can kind of get away with it a little bit if you're covering the NBA and this is that time. So anyway, all all of the big personalities are all dreading like a KD trade when they're on a vacation in Europe somewhere. Right. Yeah. I, uh, we were all doing that at summer league. We were, uh, anytime you go out to dinner, basically every night it's like, okay, somebody's got to have their laptop just in case Katie gets traded. Cause I was with the guys from dime and we're kind of just coordinating, like make sure somebody has their computer with them in case something happens. Because famously we were all out somewhere when Kawhi, when, when the Kawhi PG thing happened at like midnight Pacific and we had computers and we, we were the first one, I think in the entire internet to write something about that trade. So there you go. Be, be prepared as they all, as the kids say. Okay. Well, thank you, Glenn, for joining me yep. on the podcast as always. Everybody else, please subscribe to this show. Check out Glenn's work uh, at Peachtree Hoops, ATL on 29, et cetera. We'll see you all next time.